Welcome to Outspoken, a podcast for social change where we talk about current events and how they relate to interpersonal violence and abuse. Outspoken is a project of the Hayes Caldwell Women's Center located in San Marcos, Texas. If you or someone you know has experienced abuse and is seeking support, services, or needs more information, links to resources can be found in our episode description. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not reflect the views of their organizations or affiliates. Welcome back to Outspoken, a podcast for social change. I'm Kiara. I'm Megan. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Claudia. February is Dating Violence Awareness Month, and we want to talk about why it matters, how we can contribute to ending dating violence in our communities, and how you can support youth as they navigate healthy and unhealthy relationships. We are going to give a content warning for this episode because we are going to be talking about abuse in relationships with examples. So if that's something that you're not comfortable with or maybe you're sensitive to it, please take care of yourself and maybe check out some of our other episodes. We want to start off with some questions that we've received from the community that actually inspired this episode. Um, We will be answering the following questions in this episode and in the next episode where we'll be interviewing a dating violence counselor. Um, First question is, how would you start a conversation with a young person about relationships? Um, Second question, how does a young person know that you are a safe person to talk to about their relationship? How can a person tell someone that they're in an unhealthy relationship when they don't know what a healthy relationship actually looks like? And then our last question is, what does a healthy relationship look like to you? Which is something that we want to answer. Um, And for me, it's mutual respect. So having respectful communication, respecting each other's opinions, boundaries, needs, things like that, I think is really important in a healthy relationship. Yeah, I I totally agree um, with all of those. I would also add on for me, just being comfortable, being able to be yourself, feeling like, and that comes with, you know, a feeling of safety and knowing that, you know, this person is going to accept you and that you um, can live in your truth and not feel unsafe to do so and that you can have respectful communication about like who you are and stuff so a lot of to me that's just like another piece that goes with what you just said too for me it's also being yourself um and I'll add a piece of being yourself that um is really important that I see in healthy relationships is being able to enjoy spending time together but also spending time apart that being yourself means that you can still put time and energy into your own interests and into the other relationships in your life that are really important to you Um, and a part of that uh, is also learning and respecting boundaries because sometimes if people want to spend time together or separately you're going to have to learn each other's boundaries so you can figure out what feels best for whoever is involved in that relationship yeah definitely i would say all of the above all the safety the communication the boundaries and being your honest self i think i would also add there being a sense of equality and reciprocity Mm -hmm. in the relationship, even if it's not one-to-one, like maybe I'm really good at this thing and I provide that for both of us, but they're provided, they are really good at this other thing and they provide Mm -hmm. that in the relationship. But as long as there's a sense of equity and reciprocity. Let's get into uh, a little bit more about why Dating Violence Awareness Month is important. 
Um, I want to start off by sharing the fact that one in three young people will experience physical, sexual, or emotional abuse by someone that they're in a relationship with. So while it might not seem um, like it's happening on a large scale, it is. A third, a third of young people is very, you know, this is an issue that we should all be talking about. Um, February is the National Dating Violence Awareness Month. It's an effort that to raise awareness about the impacts of dating abuse and to encourage communities to support young people in seeking healthy relationships. This month gives us an opportunity to shine a light on dating violence and inspire conversations about healthy relationships in order to stop the violence. A big part of the prevention work we do is learning about uh, and teaching about healthy relationships as much as learning about violence in relationships. Um, oftentimes, survivors of intimate partner violence, they don't realize that they were even in an abusive relationship until after the relationship is over, which is why these conversations are so important. And it's one of my favorite months that we even have throughout the year. Um, I mean, I love all of our awareness months, but this one means a lot to me, especially because we have the opportunity to talk to youth and young adults about their relationships as they are forming them and getting to decide what they want and what they're happy with and what they don't want to have in their relationships. And it just gives a really good opportunity to set a good foundation as they're developing healthy relationships outside of the family unit, um, healthy friendships, but also if they're interested in dating relationships to give them the opportunity to really think about what they want, how they want to be treated and how they want to treat somebody else. Absolutely. We want to learn what these things look like before relationships began, the, the whole not realizing that we were in abusive relationships till after, that's where we've got to, um, you know, we want to stop that from happening. We want people to know when they're, we want people to recognize the behaviors well beforehand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as educators, when we're out in the community, it's, especially when we're talking to young people, it can be really helpful to be talking about relationship behaviors on a spectrum um, because relationships are not black and white. And so it's just mm -hmm. as important to know about healthy relationships um, and what that looks like as it is to know about unhealthy relationship behaviors as well. Um, so we talk about relationships on a spectrum. On one end of the spectrum is healthy relationships. Um, so what that can look like is mutual respect. So you value each other as you are and respect each other's boundaries um, communicating feelings and needs and listening and validating each other's feelings um, is really important in a healthy relationship. Um, knowing that you can trust each other and believe what your partner says, um, that you are honest with each other as well and feel safe with your partner. Um, safety is really, really important. Um, and then healthy communication. So in other words, being able to talk openly with each other and respect each other's opinions. Um, and then equality in the relationship, so making decisions together, holding each other to the same standards. Also enjoy um, the time that you're spending in your relationship, whether it's together, apart, alone, or with others. And respecting each other's need for time apart is really important as well. I really love that it, you touched on enjoying spending time with others as well, because I think as you get into more abusive relationships, that becomes a really strong point of contention. Yeah. And I think it's important, too. We've already mentioned healthy relationships um, already in this episode, but I think it's really important to normalize talking about healthy relationships. I feel mm -hmm. like 
oftentimes people see some of these things that we just touched on as like a really high bar and it -hmm. shouldn't be it should be just the standard expectation that we have in relationships yeah and we'll have conversations sometimes with youth where we get asked um, to come and speak about like unhealthy and abusive behaviors in relationships to raise awareness which is really important but that healthy part can and oftentimes does get left out. And if you tell youth or anybody in general behaviors that you don't want them to do, it's helpful to tell them what to do instead. Because otherwise, how do they know what a healthy relationship is going to look like if you're just telling them what it doesn't look like? They can sort of fill in the blanks, but it can be even more helpful to hear about what it looks like to be in a healthy relationship. Absolutely. You've got to get the tools. How do you have a healthy uh conflict you know like what does that look like how do we discuss things when we're mad because it's it's easy to do some of these things when everything's great you know it's but it's when you have disagreements or when things aren't great is when sometimes relationships can run into problems and it's because of you know it can be a lack of not having these tools or not having them modeled for you before absolutely that's a good point So moving further down the spectrum, we have unhealthy relationship behaviors. We know that not every relationship is perfect. No relationship is perfect, um, honestly. And it's not uncommon to see some unhealthy relationship behaviors, things like maybe a lack of trust or there's dishonesty, um, like not being considerate of your partner's feelings or what their personal boundaries are. Um, That would be a form of disrespect. So you may see disrespect in a relationship. Uh, Trying to take control where one partner's feelings or desires or even their choices are seen as more important than the other person in their relationship. Maybe there's jealousy in the behaviors that come with it. And we may have mentioned in a previous episode that jealousy across the board doesn't mean that you're being unhealthy. It's a matter Mm -hmm. of what you do with it. So if there's jealousy in the relationship and then it's expressed as more controlling behaviors um, of I don't want you spending time with this person Um, who is that person that you're talking to, if it moves towards more controlling behavior, that's when jealousy can become a red flag. Um, Or ignoring time with friends or your personal interests, which could be the beginnings of isolation in a relationship that it's Mm -hmm. very normal. And I talk to young people, we tell them it's very common and normal when you get into a relationship to be so excited about the relationship and to want to spend all of your time together, but it's also important to really put effort into maintaining your other friendships or still doing things like being on the basketball team or being interested in theater and not letting go of what some of your other hobbies and interests are because it could lead to more isolation that if, if for some reason that relationship moves further down the spectrum Um, and becomes abusive or even more unhealthy and you start to see more of those red flags Um, these unhealthy behaviors are some good red flags to look out for which can either be a sign that you need to have more of a conversation in your relationship to try to fix these unhealthy behaviors it could be a sign that maybe the relationship isn't going to work out and maybe you can consider breaking up or it could be a red flag that you could be headed in an even more unhealthy and potentially abusive direction So just, I don't know, I feel like this is a part of the spectrum that I think 
is really important and to have conversations about because as Kirsten mentioned, relationships are not black and white, but sometimes when we talk about them, we talk about them in black and white of being healthy and being abusive, but there's a lot of behaviors that are in between that can tell us a lot about relationships too. I think being able to keep up with your personal interests and hobbies is also really important for the sustainability of a relationship. Like if you have to sacrifice all your hobbies in order to maintain time in that relationship, then that's not going to be sustainable. Your happiness is going to suffer over time. Yes, I agree. Going even further down the relationship spectrum, we get to the other end, which is abusive uh, relationships, which feature a lot of controlling behavior, um, which is the opposite of mutual respect and equality. Um, which some examples are telling them what to wear or who to hang out with, what they can or cannot do with their time. It can include threats and name-calling, isolating you from your friends or family, physically harming somebody, blaming the partner for their own abusive behavior, or pressuring and forcing their partner to do things that they don't want to do. Um, Usually abuse escalates over time. It's kind of a common misconception that, oh, once we have our kid, things will be better, or once we get married, things will be better. But those things typically do not make uh, the abuse stop and do not make the situation better, but instead get you more invested in the relationship, which makes it harder to identify the abuse and harder to leave, Um, which is another thing people don't understand that why it's so hard to leave in an abusive relationship, why why it's hard to break up and why people stay, which we wanted to get into a few examples of that as well. Um, one example that I care a lot about bringing awareness to is financial abuse. Finances are a very easy source of control and a way from preventing their partner from having independence. It's a lot harder to leave when you don't have the money to leave or to leave long term. Yeah, I would like mm-hmm. to give a couple examples of this too mm-hmm. that this can look a lot of different ways including not allowing somebody to like have access to their bank um things like like their bank account or trying to control like what they spend money on and using their credit card or not letting them use a credit card things like that. I feel like there's a lot of different ways I'm not allowing somebody to like have cash on them, things like that. Or not allowing them to work at all so they don't have their own income. Or even like refusing to work and then they have, like you have to support that person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, Something, another example that I think of when I think of um, youth specifically, like high school or middle school youth. um, Mm -hmm. Why they stay. Is Yeah, why they stay is social pressure. Um, maybe they feel like they want to stay in the relationship because they simply want to be in a relationship Um, or their friends don't really know what's going on in the relationship like the friends don't know that their relationship is unhealthy and they don't want to say why they're breaking up or maybe they don't feel comfortable or even safe to say what's going on in their relationship and they feel really isolated so they stay in the relationship because they feel like they don't have other options Um, or even having a kid together so maybe they're teen parents um, or just young adults and people maybe are not supportive of their relationship in general um, and they feel a pressure to stay together for the kids I know that when we've worked with 
teen parents, sometimes that's something that I would hear them say is, I don't want my kid to grow up without a dad, or I don't want my kid to grow up without a mom, because that's something that I experienced, and I don't want to create that environment for them either, and then having a conversation about, um, is it a healthy environment for that child if there's conflict happening in the home, or if there's abuse happening in the home, and the child witnesses it, um, so yeah, social pressure can play a big role potentially in why people stay. I would add sometimes it bec- like the relationship evolves in a way that the abusive partner's friends are the the survivors only friends and so they're afraid of losing right. their entire social network um and being in a really strong social isolation. Or maybe you are from like a a marginalized group or a smaller community mm-hmm. where you just want the abuse to stop and you don't want to impact the reputation of this person or mm. you're worried about being rejected or ostracized from this group because you're causing quote unquote drama um, mm-hmm. or whatever it is so you feel the pressure to just not say anything and like keep it the way that things are and in marginalized communities there's frequently pressure for relationships to work out to like prove that love can exist in these communities i want to also include like some religious communities as well there can be a lot of pressure to stay and make a relationship work i think it also should be said that a lot of times um people who have abusive behaviors are also really charming and it can be hard when your entire friend group and everyone that knows y'all as a couple thinks that this person is very is really amazing and is the one that is very charismatic. And then it can be hard to also like stand alone in your friend group and be like, no, this is happening to me because it can you can have feelings of like, there's no way they're going to believe me because this person is so likable. That's such a good point. And it's not uncommon for people who abuse their partner to also have some type of leadership role or -hmm. authority in a community as well, whether they're like the captain of their team or a leader in their like religious community because abuse is about control yeah power and control yeah and typically <laughs> i will say to add to your point to megan like it's not uncommon for people to really look up to this person so and it's not uncommon for that person to have already maybe been telling other people not so great things about the person that they're abusing so by the time mm-hmm. the survivor comes forward and tries to say like hey these are some of the things my partner's been doing to me it's it's pretty common for them to already believe what the abusive partner has been saying already like oh we've already heard that you've been doing Mm -hmm. these other things and that's why your partner's been so angry with you or that's why they've been doing this and um, it can put more pressure on the victim as well that type of blame that they're already experiencing within the relationship then they receive it from outside people as well that oh yeah it is your fault and that can keep somebody isolated in an abusive relationship as well which you bringing this up sort of leads into like another example of like why people end up staying or why it's hard to break up is just simply having fear Mm -hmm. that maybe their partner has threatened them in some way either to harm them or kill them um, or somebody that they care about like their children or their family members or even pets sometimes people are surprised to hear that but people we know that our pets are like family to us so it's not uncommon for people to use those threats or an abusive partner to use those threats in a relationship so fear can play a big role in why somebody chooses to stay because they're afraid for their 
own safety or even for the safety of their partner. Sometimes their partner threatens to harm themselves if the relationship ends. I've yeah, heard good point. some young people tell me, like, I'm really concerned about them. They seem like they're not okay. I know that their mental health is not okay. Or they've told me, I, I can't be okay without you. I'm going to harm myself. Um, and that's a really difficult mm-hmm. spot to be in, especially if you've you care about this person and you want to make sure that they're safe and they're okay. And you think, well, maybe if I just stay in this relationship, we can work on this and maybe I can break up with them when they're in a better spot. Yeah. It's so hard to see the controllingness when yeah. you love somebody. Yeah. I want to include too, to add to what you already shared, Kira, that oftentimes abusive partners will, um, if there's children involved, may threaten to call CBS mm-hmm. or will threaten to take custody of the of the kids, especially if there are things with like immigration involved too, they'll mm-hmm. they'll threaten it, um, that as well. Something that I've also seen with working with youth um, and young adults, and when I'm, we're saying youth and young adults, I realize I didn't say this in the introduction. We're talking about teenagers and preteens, but we're also talking about like college age young adults. Um, maybe they're not married, but they have other. They're still dating, um, so dating violence. awareness still applies to them. Often we talk about dating violence awareness as being teen dating violence awareness. We've also expanded it in the work that we do because we do work um, in a college town um, and we work a lot with young adults. So to expand on that, I think a fear that also gets presented is through social media. They use social media and phones so much to connect. And sometimes they have a fear of this person is going to share private photos that I've sent to them or private messages that I've sent to them. And they use it as a way to control their partner and to blackmail Mm -hmm. them or just instill more fear in them. And I feel like that's a very real concern. And sometimes... Adults will have conversations with youth about like, well, just don't send pictures because you can't control what happens to them, which is true. You cannot control what happens to a picture once it leaves your phone and you send it to somebody else. Um, But I feel like there's also a wider conversation that needs to be had about don't exploit somebody else if they send you a picture or a message that's private, um, that that's definitely a very real and present form of abuse that I don't think gets talked about as often as it should be. Definitely. It's also just very victim blaming also to have the mentality of like, well, you shouldn't have sent the photo because in the, in the, in those circumstances, like you sent the photo because you trusted that person and you were in a relationship and now you no longer, you know, you may know, may no longer be in that relationship but the initial agreement was <laughs> that it was only going to be between the two. So, I mean, I don't know. It's just very, like, it's not the way to approach it. It's the person who shared the photo whose fault it is. Yeah. And if you ask somebody to delete a photo, they should respect that. Absolutely. Another reason sometimes that people don't leave um, an abusive relationship is that it has become very normalized, whether... Um, They grew up in a family where there was abuse and that type of behavior is normal, that they've experienced abuse in the past and that has become normal um, in other relationships. Um, Sometimes, like Kiara mentioned, social pressure. Sometimes um, if your friends are in um, situations where they're also experiencing abuse and it's become a normalized thing, it could be part of the norm that you're just used to, that this is just how Mm. people behave. Or your friend is the one who is 
using abusive behaviors in their relationship. So they're encouraging you to do it because they just see it as they don't, maybe they don't know, as you mentioned, that it's something that's unhealthy or abusive. Absolutely. Yeah. Or maybe your experience growing up was you witnessed physical abuse and now you're in a relationship that's centered around a lot of emotional abuse. So like in your mind, this, it feels better or you think that it's different. Yeah. Yeah. They don't hit me. They don't hit at me, least. Right. At least they don't hit me. And so and, and that can also be and it, and it does come back to just not knowing that what we went over earlier, which is not knowing what a healthy relationship baseline <laughs> should look like. And, and, and mm-hmm. what you said earlier was that not a lot of people look at that as like, this is the goal, but this is this is really the baseline. This is just like the key of a health. These are just the parts of a healthy relationship. I'm having, I'm remembering an example of somebody who their partner did hit and they were like, well, at least they don't cheat on me. Like the, mm-hmm. the unhealthy relationship standards are so pervasive right. that people are willing to exchange abuse for other kinds of abuse. That's mm-hmm. a good point too. Yeah, it is. And I want to say too that you can acknowledge or understand why somebody may do something hurtful. So they, this is why this person hurts me, or I, they were hurt when they were younger. Um, that doesn't make it okay. Or I hear they have trust issues. Yeah. They were cheated on in their other relationship, or they, they're just doing this because they have trust issues. Yeah. And even if you have empathy towards that person and the experiences they have had, that does not make it okay for them to abuse you. That is not an excuse. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say, too, that there are people that experience hard things in the past, experience abuse, experience trauma, and they do not turn around and abuse mm-hmm. somebody else. So I want to say that that is not an excuse for somebody to be abusive towards you. And that it's forever their responsibility and, like, your own responsibility to work on your own self and how you treat other people. And it's not – and if it is something that is happening to you – while you can empathize with their experience, it's not your responsibility to try to fix them. It's their responsibility to fix themselves and to and for them to treat you the way you're supposed to be treated. Yeah. You're not their therapist. Yes. This is like the, the quality in a relationship. Like they're not Absolutely. extending the same grace to you and being yes. like, you know, they don't deserve to be hit. They're, they're not doing that. And so you need to have like, you need to prioritize your own safety. Yeah. Um, another reason why sometimes it's hard for someone to leave an abusive relationship is um, the emotions that go into relationships. I mean, oftentimes somebody who is abusive will erode um, their partner's sense of self-confidence, their sense of worth, um, and it can escalate over time, but it can be degrading words, criticizing them on a regular basis, undermining them. Um, it can, And I want to say, too, that there's... I've heard of people, this is a, a pretty big um, red flag, is the phrase, you'll nev- nobody will ever love you mm-hmm. like I do, yeah. um, or you'll be alone. Because and, of blank thing about you, that they've planted that seed, and now you believe it. Yes. So that can, that can instill a lot of fear in someone like, yeah, I'll never be loved after you. Like, nobody will ever love me which is a really terrible thing to make somebody feel about themselves. Another reason why some people can't leave is um, they typically still love their partner. Um, there's still a lot of love for their partner. They, You can want the abuse to stop, but they may not want the relationship to end. I think that oftentimes people who are experiencing abuse have hope that their partner will change or have hope that their relationship will go back to the way that it used to be. 
And sometimes um, the abusive partner will say, like, we'll apologize sometimes. And there's that cycle of abuse that we've talked about where mm-hmm. there's still moments of love and yeah, that's not like that all the time. No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it can be really easy to hang on to those little cookie crumbs of love um, that are in the midst of this. And sometimes the love is can be really huge. It can be like a really big thing where they're super apologetic and and give you flowers and shower you with compliments. Um, and it can be really easy to hang on to that when somebody is, you know, in that part of the explosive cycle and being abusive again. And it's a lot easier to see that 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 those two things don't balance out from the outside. Mm. But when Absolutely. you're inside of it and you really love somebody and you want the relationship to work out, it's a lot harder to to be like this cookie crumb of love is not worth all of this abuse. Yeah, exactly. Or it feels like love can conquer all. I feel like I've seen that. People say that so many times of like, we just love each other so much we can get through anything we're going through a hard time and sometimes love is not going to be the only thing you need to carry you through oftentimes love is not the only thing that is going to carry you through that we talked about those other things that you need in a relationship like mutual respect and healthy communication and equality and love is just one of those things that if you don't have all of these other things then you don't have healthy love and everybody deserves healthy love Absolutely. And I want to also reiterate that somebody abusing another person is a choice. That's not a mistake that they Mm -hmm. have made. And it's not a mistake they're continuing to make. They're they're actively choosing that. And that is not love. Like any, regardless of them being, having seen abusive relationships and internalizing that behavior, they still make a choice to escalate. They still make a choice to control instead of making choices to get help to help remedy their behaviors and not have those abusive patterns. Yeah. I want to touch on another thing that makes it hard to leave because I think that we've, I think we've already kind of hit it a little bit, but the isolation that can happen in an abusive relationship. When you're talking, uh, Kirsten, about like the cycle of love and how uh, it can be this very powerful love when it's like the highs can be very, very good. And it, you can even have this feeling of like us against the world, right? Um, But that in itself is like almost by design because that can create this feeling of feeling like it is just the two of you alone in this relationship. And then now the abuse is also like the secret that you hold in this relationship. Right. Um, And the isolation, I think sometimes it's people imagine it to be very like cut and dry in the sense of like you're not allowed to hang out with your friends. And, And you think to yourself, like, I would never put up with someone telling me like straight up, like, you can't do this. But it doesn't necessarily happen in this very explicit way. It can it happens with that like idea of like this is our this is our you know it can happen with like this like slow idea of like putting it in your partner's head that you don't like the people you're hanging out with or the people they're hanging out with don't like them. And so it ends up, you know, making them believe that it's their choice and that and then going back into that like it's us against everybody else mentality. And that's where I think that. Uh, that isolation can show without people even realizing. And then I say it's by design because what ends up happening is you lose your social network and then it becomes even harder to expose that secret, that secret of abuse that you've been living with and that uh, and, and to find people who are there to support you. Um, the more people you're around too, like you witnessing, you having other healthy relationships in your life can become a comparison for like, your own relationship even though it's like you know a friendship versus a romantic partnership it's still like how your friends treat you 
your friends, would you put up with a friend treating you the way your partner is treating you? You know, so it's the, yeah. the, the more diverse relationships you have, I think the more you're able to see like your, your own relationship more clearly, if that makes sense. And I feel like this is where jealousy and we've mentioned it, but it also comes in of some other examples that you'd said that it doesn't always look the way that you think that it does, that it sometimes it's, well, they don't want me to be friends with people or follow people on social media who are the same gender as them. Um, And sometimes people are like, well, that's not an unreasonable request, but it's isolation because it's preventing you from maintaining connections and friendships with other people that are just platonic. That's something that I would see a lot with working with young people is uh, they're just concerned or, as I mentioned, they have trust issues and I don't I just want them to know that they can trust me. So I let them have the passcode to my phone um, or I just don't talk to this one person or I'm not friends with other guys or other girls because it makes them jealous. And I know how that feels. Um, So they see it as a way of like, I care for this person and I don't want to harm them in some way. And they think that they're causing harm when really it's their partner who's being controlling. Yeah. And you're doing it because you love them. It doesn't feel like yeah. it, it can be. And I think that's sometimes it's hard to, and I think that's why sometimes people struggle with some of these ideas. Like, why don't you just leave? Because it's not that easy. It's not, it doesn't come across mm-hmm. as like, not all these come across as very like direct. Some, a lot of these things is happening underhandedly. Definitely. Sometimes people in abusive relationships too will avoid seeing certain friends that they used to be close with their or their family in order to avoid a fight or something being escalated yeah. as well within their relationship. If if the abusive partner doesn't want them hanging out with a certain person or with family, um, they may avoid it just to avoid some type of escalation later. And then there's like self-guilt of like wanting to have that relationship, like missing that friend and being like, oh, mm-hmm. maybe my partner is right because I do love this person too. I also want to get into um, the feeling of blaming yourself for the abuse which it comes through a lot of these things that we've already talked about like through the uh, emotional um abuse and like the name calling and the kind of the the tear down of a scene that can happen in, in an abusive uh relationship but um also sometimes um people will find themselves blaming like feeling it's their fault because of the reaction they had to the abuse that they're receiving um when you're tr- when you're tr- being treated incredibly unfairly um, and incredibly unjustly, like being angry about that is a pretty valid uh, feeling. And sometimes that, and, and especially, I think that women can be socialized to have feelings of shame around their anger. Um, and I think that that can be difficult. And to feel that, like you know, even though your anger was justified, and maybe and maybe you got pushed to a certain point where you yelled at your at the person. And things like that. And then it, and then because that happened and then it caused them to escalate, there can be this like place where it's like, well, I shouldn't have yelled or I shouldn't have lost my cool. When your anger was probably justified because you were being pushed in a way that any person would be mad, you know. Um, and I think that that can happen, too, is like your partner, um, you know, in an abusive situation can make you feel like it's your own fault because of your own reaction and, and thinking like, you know, they aren't having any they aren't controlling their behaviors um and so the responsibility of like all control can sometimes fall on you as far as like controlling your own reaction and then you end up feeling like well I reacted this way and that's why they got mad because you're walking on eggshells because of their reactions having no um control they have no control over their own reaction yeah you saying that made me think of um 
abuse experienced by like men or masculine people from female partners or feminine partners and how sometimes people see it as well you can't be abused or if the reaction was then what did you do to make them do this like some people think that like it's justified in some way because you can't be abused which also feeds into the isolation because if there aren't services for you or if people are going to make fun of you for reaching out and telling somebody or they're going to blame you for what happens it isolates you and it makes you feel like it's your own fault that there's just not enough conversation on like this can happen to anybody and there's we know that disproportionately it happens more to women and people who are um, feminine, but especially women. But I do feel like there's an added conversation of like, if you don't always see yourself in the conversation of being a person who can be abused, which we know that anybody can, then it may lead you to believe that it's something that you did wrong um, or that help is just not available for you. It can add to the shame too. Yeah. My last thought about why people stay is that they feel a sense of responsibility to support their partner getting better. Um, Going back to how survivors frequently will have just a lot of compassion and love for their abusive partner and combining that with the fact that there is not widespread services available for perpetrators to get help to stop abusing people kind of creates this environment where survivors think that it's their responsibility to help fix their partner when it's not it's not um it's the responsibility of our communities to start creating the social safety net not only for survivors to get healing but for perpetrators to get healing so they don't so they don't continue to enact harm on others Obviously, these need to be separate for the safety of the survivor. So we've talked a lot about what abuse looks like, uh, that relationship spectrum and that visual. Um, And something else that we wanted to highlight when planning for this episode is role models in relationships, because we can talk to youth about what abuse looks like and what a healthy relationship looks like. But it can also go a really long way for them to see it. Um, and person that it's not just on paper, but to have it role modeled in front of them. And we were thinking about who are our role models um, and that they can be unexpected. They could be maybe somebody that we don't know, like a celebrity, or maybe it's a friend's parents, or maybe our own parents, or even just our own friends. We can get role models later in life. It doesn't have to be just our role models that we developed as we were younger. Um, But As we know, especially with youth in the internet and media, they're getting influences from everywhere and they're picking up a lot of information from everywhere that um, not only if we are not talking to them about relationships, there's still the media that they're consuming that's telling them information about relationships, good and bad. And sometimes those relationships can be really intense. Uh, Whenever we talk about relationships in our office, The example that always sticks out in my head is the relationship between Machine Gun Kelly and Megan Fox. And if you are not familiar with who they are, Machine Gun Kelly is a musician and Megan Fox is an actress. And they have a really intense relationship that plays out in the media um, that it's sort of like love is pain and love can conquer all. But we're moving through life together. And the thought I always have is like, are y'all okay? (laughs) (laughs) 
I agree. Yeah, because it doesn't seem that way. <laughs> yeah. I feel like maybe it could possibly be healthy for them. They could be like, exactly. we like to perform this funny joke that love is like this in front of people. But when they're doing it in front of people, we don't know what it means to them. And if people try to recreate it, a lot of those elements are like have el- like have similarities to abuse like necklaces with people's blood in it kind of has this symbol of control and ownership um or that those rings i feel like i feel like a lot of times when people replicate that kind of intensity and passion if it's not on purpose or agreed upon it can it can really get nasty and abusive yeah that we're not i think we can't all be Bonnie and Clyde outlaws against the world. I think that's like something else that I've like, I mean, granted, I, Machine Gun Kelly has a song just that's about being Bonnie and Clyde and being like us against the world. And that can be a really romanticized thing, right? Like mm-hmm. as Claudia had already mentioned. Um, but something that we also wanted to highlight instead of going through a number of different examples is that with celebrities, we don't know who they are. We get to see a glimpse of who they are in the media. We get to see what they allow us to show, like uh, they allow us to see or what people take and they see and they show it to us. Um, we don't know who they are. We don't really know what their relationship is like. And we don't know what their relationship is like behind closed doors. So they're not necessarily good or bad role models. Um, they're just people that we see in the media and maybe they're not going to be the best role models essentially because we don't really know the full picture of their relationship. Mm-hmm. So instead, maybe we look towards other um, role models for young people and young adults in their lives. But people it doesn't that you can the... see up close. Yes, but it doesn't change the fact that we still get a lot from the media in general about mm-hmm. relationships, good or bad. Yeah. I think it's hard to there's I feel like there's a lot of people who don't feel like they have a role model in their life. And so it can be kind of a default to look to celebrities for that. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I (laughs) I idolize some some um, celebrity relationships and then (laughs) typically they let me down. Yeah. (laughs) So um, they're humans, too. They're humans, too. Who thought? But I think it's also something to think about that it's okay if your role models change throughout your life as well as your values shift. Mm -hmm. So there can be somebody that you used to look up to in the past, whether it's somebody that's close to you or not. And as values start to change or you start to grow, you can maybe think, oh, maybe maybe they're not somebody that I should look up to or maybe that value is not something that I agree with. But as far as media goes, I also want to mention – books as well I feel like I know a lot of people who read um, romance novels which is great but I want to touch on um, Colleen Hoover specifically she is very popular right now um, New York Times bestselling list and I just want to mention so domesticshelters.org did an article about one of her books um, and ends with us and I've seen this book a lot I feel like young adults and maybe as well, I know that it's a um, based on a college student, but um, there's a lot of red flags all over this book, um, according to DomesticShelters.org. And it, it glorifies um, a charismatic but pretty abusive person. 
And authors don't have any like moral or ethical obligation to like write healthy role models. I think this is important um, as we're absorbing things in the media and as we're reading things to like just check ourselves of what we are absorbing and what we find value in and not look to these authors and these celebrities as people that we want to base our lives off of. But yeah, in this book specifically, it's um, kind of an overused and inaccurate portrayal of abuse um, and like that whole concept of like in the heat of the moment um, and like the poor tortured soul, which I feel like is pretty common in mm-hmm. romance novels, unfortunately, mm-hmm. that um, they've been hurt in the past. And there's a lot of excuses built into this um, mm-hmm. type of narrative um, for abusive behavior. And it encourages young readers to yeah excuse that abusive behavior like he's just complicated he didn't mean it um he's been hurt etc so i think that's something to keep in mind for young readers when we are reading very popular books it can be very easy to get sucked into these narratives and um being able to identify what's healthy what's unhealthy what's abusive is really important Um, last thing I want to touch on in the media, I don't want to give him, um, too much time, but I think it's important to note because a lot of, we see a lot of young men looking up to him. Um, but Andrew Tate, who Mm. was arrested recently for sex trafficking, a lot of young men look up to him. He's a all over social media or was all over Mm -hmm. social media. And, Um, A lot of people see him as the definition of success and we'll see and look up to that and say, oh, he's very successful and I may want to replicate some of his behaviors. But he promotes violence against women um, pretty blatantly. So Mm -hmm. I just want to we wanted to touch on that, that it's really important um, to be aware because he does target um, young boys. And it's really important to be aware of who your children are following on social media and who they're influenced by and who they're looking up to. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not just couples, but it's these it's it can be influencers with just ideas that are mm-hmm. very dangerous to future relationships. Absolutely. All right. So that's a lot. We spent a lot of time talking about abuse. Um, which is important because it doesn't get discussed enough. But we're going to take a break for our self-compassion break. And we're going to come back and talk more about um, talking to youth about relationships and what it looks like to be a role model for youth and young adults when it comes to talking about healthy and unhealthy relationships. Our self-compassion tip for this episode is to nurture your relationship with yourself. Make time for your own interests and hobbies Be kind to yourself on hard days and be aware of your negative self-talk. Or take yourself on a date, buy yourself gifts, or spend some quality time doing things you love. We deserve healthy relationships with others, but we deserve a healthy relationship with ourselves too. Back to the episode. All right, and now we're back and we're going to discuss the importance of parents and adults and how we all uh, can play a really important role in being healthy relationship role models for the youth in our lives. Uh, We know from experience that when most young people are experiencing issues in their relationship, they're more likely to talk to their friends and peers than they are to, you know, go to an adult or go to their parents, which is why peer-to-peer relationships are so important when they're healthy. 
Um, and and when and that's another reason why this information is so important because the more of our peers who have this information and have the connection to resources, when young people do go to talk to their friends, hopefully it's a friend that has this information and has some of these resources to offer them and that they, they can give them the support that they need um, if they do need to, to leave that relationship. Um, it's also important to be aware of who we look to for advice, especially when it comes to like peer-to-peer relationships and who, how do we know um, if someone is a good person to take advice from? I think that's something to be thinking about when we're receiving advice from people. Um, are they in a healthy relationship themselves? Do they have um, healthy conflict and conflict resolution skills? Do they play games with their partners? And like mind what, games? Yeah, mm-hmm. like mind games. And, and mm-hmm. do they promote that or encourage you to do that as well? Um, and what are their values when it comes to relationships in general? And do they align with yours? Those are important things to think about. Who is this person to you? Do you trust them? Do they have similar values to you? And also, was the advice that they're giving you something that you asked for? Such a good point. Yeah, you don't uh, want to take advice from people about relationships when they have a relationship that you don't want, or that you wouldn't <laughs> a type of relationship that you wouldn't want. And uh, and I know I mentioned a minute ago that oftentimes you know young people aren't going to go to adults or aren't going to go to parents when they're having issues. And they are more likely to go to peers. But what they are looking at the adults in their life and their parents in their life for is as role models, because that is going to be what you base, what your expectations are in a relationship and how your uh, how you role model relationships to the youth in your life. That's how they're going to expect to be treated. That's how they're going to treat others. Um, so while they might not come to you for advice. <laughs> they are watching you. And that, and the way that we, uh, us learning ourselves to have healthy relationships in part will help the youth in our lives because they are watching us. Another aspect of that is uh, creating the environment to where your child is happy outside of a relationship so that they have something to compare it to, right? If you have a good relationship with your child and you have um, and they have things that bring them joy with themselves or with their family or with their friends, then they are more likely to recognize when something in their relationship is not is is off and not uh, healthy because they have a healthy relationship with their family, with their friends, and they have a healthy environment that they're living in. And by comparison, you're more likely to notice when something's not healthy, when you have something to compare it mm-hmm. to that is really healthy. Um, So creating an environment where you have open communication, where they feel safe to say things to you. Some ways of doing that can be by avoiding some of the stereotypes that um, we've maybe even grown up with, uh, especially when it comes to like gender stereotypes around dating. Um, A lot of times, like I include myself in this as like a parent, um, you know, I'm from a different generation. So like there's these ideas that are not like we know better now. And so ideas like these stereotypes about, you know, like strong gender stereotypes and things like that, as far as like the, uh, you know, boy shouldn't cry or the man always pays for the date or, uh, or just any like ideas that you might be putting onto your child or just the idea that the, that the a relationship is only opposite genders. Like just all of these ideas could cause, uh, a hindrance in your relationship with your with your child because it could create this like tension that they where they don't feel safe talking to you if you're always putting these stereotypes because a lot of times people don't fit in these stereotypes and they're watching you not only in your relationship like I said like with 
them, but also how you react to with other people and how we interact with how you interact with the people around you. That's what they're also looking towards and uh, how they're going to act with people around them. So again, just it, it starts with watching. us. They're always yes, watching. They're always it starts. So the healthier you are, the healthier they will be. Like we can't, it's, it's not a do as I say, not as I do situation. It's a, it's a, mm-hmm. they're going to do what you do and they're going to, and they're going to look at your relationship and that's how they're going to imagine relationships to be. Cause that's, what's normal for them. So we do it. And, and if you are wanting to start the conversation, uh, we do have some resources at www.stopthehurt.org on talking to teens about healthy relationships. We have some resources also, I believe, on talking to youth about um, like sexual violence even. So there's a few articles um, there that we will link in our show notes. But yeah, just starting the conversations. I, I suggest uh, like, you know, doing it in the car when they can't leave. <laughs> it's a really great... <laughs> Um, I mean, I hate to say that, but uh, it's it, it, not so much that they can't leave, but it's a moment that you are, are already sitting there together um, and you mm-hmm. can, you know, it's usually quiet and you can, you know, start that conversation. And, you know, that's where a lot of my kids and I have a lot of conversations in the car. So I, I will suggest that that could be a good place. It's all part of a bigger picture and a bigger environment that, that you are creating. Um, so it, and, and it's never too late also. So I don't if you are listening to this and you're like, oh, man, like I haven't really like started these conversations yet or I haven't really like started thinking about this stuff yet it's never too late to start having these conversations and even if it's awkward that's okay like you're a human being and it's okay to have like self-compassion for yourself and it being awkward and like lean into the awkward because it's awkward as just being a part of being a human and like (laughs) you're (laughs) and if your child sees like you're feeling this way and they feel this way you can kind of like laugh about it together and like you know not feel like it's this taboo topic and when they come to you with the little things and you're ready to talk about that and you're listening and you're able to talk about that, they're going to come to you for the big stuff too. It's a lot of conversations, not just, not just once, but yeah. And showing them that you're interested in the little things creates this ongoing relationship Mm -hmm. where the small things are important. There's love that's being built there and trust that's being built there. And it's not just like negative stuff that they can come to you with. Um, And I love the idea of doing it in the car because youth is usually going to need a lot of small conversations than one long lecture and that kind of creates a ritual of how to talk to this adult in their life and teaches them that you're a resource of a person to come to when they're confused or scared absolutely i've also heard that it can be easy to talk in the car because you're not sitting face to face Mm -hmm. oh that's such a good point something else i didn't think about that that's probably true too (laughs) makes it less awkward Yes, right. You don't have to worry about like, where am I going to look? Like you're focusing on the road, your kid's doing something else, you can have a conversation. And you have an out because you're mm-hmm. going to arrive at your destination at some point. So you know the conversation can't just go on forever. <laughs> There's less mm-hmm. pressure. Yes. Yeah. They have the out. They have an out. Everyone <laughs> has an, an out. out. <laughs> so more tips on how to start a conversation if you have a concern, because we're talking about generally having conversations and starting small conversations too but if there's something that you notice and you're concerned about them um, maybe you notice some red flags like you notice a change in their self-talk and the way that they view themselves maybe they start to say more negative things about themselves that Mm -hmm. they didn't used to do that Mm -hmm. Um, or say things like I can never do better than this person some of those red flags of just believing that they can never have a better relationship or even paying attention to how they react when their phone goes off. So if they Mm. feel really stressed about needing to respond to a text message or needing to answer a call, 
and it really seems like something is not okay. There's a difference between like they're on their phones all the time, which could be a red flag if they're on their phone all the time. But if they seem like there's a lot of stress going on Mm -hmm. about needing to respond to a text, that could be a red flag that maybe something unhealthy is going on in their relationship. Um, Or maybe they're being isolated from friends, family. They're not spending as much time with friends or family as they used to, or maybe with their own interests, individual interests that they used to have before this relationship. Maybe use that as an opportunity to have conversations of, I noticed that you're not doing X, Y, and Z, or I haven't seen your friend around the house, or it seems like you're not spending as much time together anymore. Is everything okay? Just come from a place of curiosity. Um, or maybe they have uh, a change in comments about their body or change in the way that they dressed or even saying things like, well, my partner doesn't like it when I wear this or they prefer it if I don't. Um, just noticing some of these different things that are changes. And as I mentioned, again, come from a place of curiosity and a point of concern. So I noticed that this person was talking to you this way. It didn't seem like it was respectful and it, was, and it wasn't kind. Um, I feel that you deserve to be treated a different way or does this concern you at all does this happen often just to get more information about it maybe not always making assumptions because you don't really know what the interaction is but just start from curiosity instead of accusing them of something or accusing somebody of something that can take you a long way because they may get defensive if you come from a place of being accusatory towards them um creating a dialogue instead of using it as an opportunity to lecture because it gives opportunities for them to give information to you back and forth um, and not yelling at them um, as a way of trying to convince them because that's not going to convince them. If it (laughs) seems like they're going to get in trouble for this, that doesn't create a place where they're going to feel that you're a safe person to talk to. Um, or just highlighting the things that you feel that they deserve. I want to see you as somebody who it seems like they respect you or you seem really happy whenever you're talking to them um, or they really support you in your own interest. Um, Just really highlighting some healthy behaviors that way instead of just highlighting the negative things. And letting them know that they deserve it. Yeah. I love that it starts the conversation too, like relationship values and like what you're looking for in a partner, like before you even start the relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And as you're having these conversations, you're modeling how they should be treated. So by not yelling and not pressuring (laughs) and not doing those things, you're showing them that they deserve respectful communication, which it's possible that if they're in an abusive relationship, their partner is not giving them those things. Right. I feel like a lot of the things that you just mentioned, Kiara, can um, apply to like youth as well as adult children. So if you're a parent with adult children, I feel like these things can apply to you as well. And I want to add a couple things. With adult children, don't pressure them to break up with their partner. It can be really, as we already mentioned, leaving an abusive situation is very complex and very difficult. Um, Instead of pressuring, instead, provide a safe and supportive space. And like Claudia just mentioned, remind them of their worth and what they deserve um, to have in a relationship. And avoid ultimatums. Um, They're probably already receiving that from their abusive partner. Um, Pressuring and ultimatums can further isolate them from their support system. So you can have boundaries um, around this situation, but you can do that without giving an ultimatum. So supporting your adult child and respecting them and their decisions and and using respectful communication is really important. Um, you can also create a safety plan 
for leaving an abusive relationship, you can download our Dating Violence Awareness Month toolkit, as we just mentioned a little bit ago, at StopTheHurt.org. Um, there is a youth safety plan in there that can be used for both teens and young adults. And we also have discussion cards in the toolkit to help start the conversation with your child, whether they're a teen or young adult. So those can be really helpful tools. Um, if that's something that you are seeking, you can go to our website. That draws us towards the end of our episode. Our prevention and action tip today is to be a supportive adult for the youth in your life. Remember that they are looking up to you. Your interactions with them are teaching them healthy relationship dynamics. Until next time, speak up, speak out, and be outspoken.